Welcome back to The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. I am Sunny Bunch, culture editor at The Bulwark, and I'm very pleased to be joined today by Adam Novak, who is head of story at WME and the author of the new novel Rat Park, which is available at your local Amazon as we speak. I'll have a link to the novel in the email that goes out with this. Make sure you check it out. It is very interesting. It is totally nuts. I just want to read. There's a quote on the on the cover from Alexander Payne, the Academy Award-winning director of Sideways and the Descendants, the craziest goddamn thing I've read in a long time. And I think that about sums it up. That about sums it up. But we'll we'll talk more about that in a second. I'm excited to have Adam on the show today because I have not had somebody this high up at a major studio on the show yet. And I feel like it's a big blind spot for the show. So we're going to we're going to talk about his work at WME as script reader for Bruce Willis, John Cusack, head of story at age 25. You're reading scripts for movie stars like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Kate Winslet, directors like John McTiernan, Stephen Frears, Tim Burton, and other notables like Clint Eastwood, Russell Crowe, Whitney Houston, Patrick Swayze, et cetera, et cetera. I could go on. This is your fourth novel. And again, we'll get we'll get to that in a second. I'm very excited to talk about that in part because there was a nice little shout out to previous Bulwark Goes to Hollywood guest uh, Richard Rushfield and his Ankler newsletter in the novel. Uh, so we can maybe discuss that a bit, too. But talk to me like I'm stupid. OK, talk to me like I'm stupid. What is coverage? Why do writers hate it? And what is your job at WME like in terms of you know, providing coverage and figuring out who who gets to do what. Well, first of all, thank you for having me, Sunny. Um, generally speaking, not a lot of people want to know what a script reader thinks. <laughs> and in Los Angeles, blaming the reader for your failure is a local pastime. And being a script reader for 33 years has been... Um, the joy of my life and the fact that I found something that I was good at that was worth doing and can actually play a part in the business of storytelling is why I feel so blessed. Because what people should understand is that every script reader isn't necessarily going to be a script reader for 30 years. It's simply a part of the business that is so necessary because there is such a volume of screenplays that have to be read that wouldn't you sometimes like to have a Cliff Notes for you prepared by someone whose opinion you trust? And if you've got 10 scripts to read, Sonny, and your reader tells you there's only one that you should read and the other nine can be dropped and not paid attention to, then that is the business of screenwriting. Our business is not to be nice. Our business as a reader is to identify material that is worth reading. And my good fortune has been to read for the William Morris Agency for 20 years and now William Morris Endeavor going on 10 and 12, where I have been the in-house reader for this agency for three decades for movie stars and directors and the biggest difference with reading for an agency as opposed to reading for a studio is that we are not in the business of buying these screenplays. We are not making these screenplays. So generally imagine reading mostly good scripts for 30 mm -hmm. years. And my job is that if it rises to the level where my job is to say, well, who is this screenplay good for? You know, you mentioned Kate Winslet, Titanic, 
arrived in a limo from Fox, and William Morris had the afternoon to evaluate it, and James Cameron was sending a driver to pick up the hard copy of the 187-page script, and somebody had to read it quickly for Kate Winslet. Well, I, I was the dry cleaner on the premises. And so I read Titanic, and I remember in my coverage, I did a logline of Titanic, a summary of Jack and Rose, and in my evaluation for Kate Winslet's agent, I described how the part of Rose was equal to Jack, how the story was compelling, and that at the end of the screenplay, this might be a love story for the ages. I've not always been right, but I like to think that when you read more than 100 screenplays, you start to, you know, establish a, a ruler, a yardstick for what is quote-unquote good, Sonny. Mm -hmm. And what's amazing about my life is that my father, I grew up in Washington, D.C., my father clerked for the Supreme Court. And in 1963, he was uh, Potter Stewart, the justice, had an obscenity case in Cincinnati, and they were talking about the opinion he was going to write. And my dad said to Potter, you know, Potter, you were in the Navy. I was in the Marine Corps. You and I, we've seen an awful lot of pornography. We know it when we see it. And uh, dad said to the justice, put that in your opinion. No one will notice it. So when Justice Stewart retired, he told everyone, uh, 30 years on the court, and what am I known for? I know it when I see it. <laughs> and I think that's amazing that my dad said that line. And then years later... I can tell you that when I read a script and whether something is worthy of a client, I know it when I see it. Yeah, it's funny how that works, synchronicity. Uh, it's funny you mentioned getting the script for Titanic from James Cameron, you know, in one of these kind of classic, like, okay, you got to read it and then give it back because we don't want anyone to get it situations. Where where do are, are you reading scripts that mostly come from studios that the project has been greenlit? Are you reading stuff that comes from writers in house? I mean, WME clients, the screenwriters that you guys rep. I mean, I, I'm curious where the, the stuff you are reading is actually coming from. You have to um, look at my email box as almost like an exclusive club. You don't just let anyone into this email. If I'm going to read something, that screenplay has been vetted. It has been sold. It has been developed by the studio for six years. It has now been greenlit. So what do you do when you have a screenplay that has a producer and a studio or a streamer or an independent financier? It's time to get a director. It's time to cast this movie. And that is when the agencies who represent the talent, they get a phone call. The screenplay is emailed to them with an offer or sometimes take a look at this, I think it's good for so-and-so. And inevitably, what I do is complimentary to the 10 scripts that came in that day, two agents who have to sort through and prioritize and know, well, my client's not available, this client needs a job, this client wants to play a lesbian, this client is actually thinking about directing a movie, so she's not available. And that leaves these three scripts for us to decide to read ourselves this weekend, and I'm going to give one of the three scripts to Adam Novak, and together, you know, we can have a phone conversation and discuss the screenplay on its merits, or I would write a memo, and we end up, you know, deciding that this is extraordinary for the client. It's extraordinary, and you should read it. Mm -hmm. And that is the process of filtering out 
you know, the chaff from the wheat, you know, and the cream. And um, I cannot tell you how many extraordinary screenplays I read every week that come into the building because the agents are being solicited by studios. The agents solicit from people in their business life and they get the material. And I am simply privy to their business lives. Do you know? I am mm -hmm. an extension. Uh, I am a Roomba <laughs> on the floor of their house. That's all. Yeah. And you value the Roomba, but you can sweep and mop the floors yourself. It's yeah. just nice to have a Roomba. Yeah. Is that a Makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. No, I, I you, you mentioned when we were we were talking over email, you mentioned uh, being a, a script reader for Bruce Willis. And I am curious and maybe this maybe this violates the sacred agent client. But what was a screenplay that jumped out to you that you were like, Bruce, you got to do this one? It's funny. There was a screenplay by Robert Benton called Nobody's Fool. And uh, Paul Newman played this cranky guy with a bum knee. And at the time, Bruce Willis was doing Pulp Fiction, and he'd done Color of Money with Richard Rush, and that was his payday movie. And then this Nobody's Fool landed in my, in my uh, it was a hard copy, there was no email back then. And I read this script, and it was a supporting role, and I, I walked into Bruce Willis' agent's office with my hair on fire, and I threw the script on his desk, and I said, B.W. has got to read this script to play Sully's neighbor. It's like, you know, this could be like a Best Supporting Actor nomination, I think. It's that good. It's, it's Robert Benton, and uh, the agent sent the screenplay to Bruce Willis, and next thing I know, in a staff meeting, uh, we're hearing that Bruce Willis is, is doing uh, Nobody's Fool. And what was interesting about that movie is that he didn't get nominated for supporting role, but it was one of the few times where I realized that I had a vote and not just a voice. Mm -hmm. Perfectly happy being a voice, but when nothing thrills me more than believing in a piece of material and then having the agent send that script with a letter, why they should read the script, and then the client reads the screenplay, reads the script, wants to play that part, you know, and that just is the sort of validation that I'm, I know it when I see it. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you, you mentioned having survived three big mergers now. You're still at WME despite all, all the tumult in the industry and all the consolidation and everything else. I'm curious, from your perspective, how has the industry changed over that time from both looking at the, the kind of rise of everybody wanting franchise material and that sort of thing, also to the distribution methods? I mean, it must be different reading for work that's going to be on a streamer versus work that's going to be theatrical or work that's going to be on basic cable. How does that impact how you're, how you're reading and who you're reading for? Sonny, nothing has changed. <laughs> okay. I'm going to okay. tell you that when I started, I was in the business of storytelling. After the second merger I survived, I was still in the business of storytelling. And in 2022, I am still in the business of storytelling. We're all storytellers. A streamer is a storyteller. A network is a storyteller. There is no difference between a Netflix script and a Hulu script and an indie film script. Nothing has changed. 
And what is fascinating about reading for an agency, as I have, is that my longevity, Sonny, has to be because I hid under my desk every time there was a merger. No, just kidding. <laughs> my longevity has to be attributed that a script reader who's in the business of evaluating stories, in a business of storytelling, of course, is indispensable to the executives, agents, and clients, and directors, and actors in this business where you are looking for a story to tell, I want to play this type of role. And to me, whenever I read a script, it is always, can I finish it? Am I breathless? Is this a part worthy of a movie star? Does the dialogue make me laugh out loud? Am I not paying attention to the page numbers? An agent in the, in the 90s, William Morris, once walked by my office and the door was open and I was always on the couch. And that week I was reading a bunch of spoofs, loaded weapon, presumed impotent. <laughs> it was all these airplane type comedies and I was laughing out loud Wednesday to Friday. And at the end of the day, this one agent, you know, he stuck his head in my office and he said, what are you reading? And has anybody told you you have the best job in Hollywood? <laughs> and I never forgot that because there are people who, you know, it's a brutal business and I'm not on the phone. I can't negotiate the lease of my car, Sonny. I'm a bit of a bearded lady in that no one, you know, reads screenplays for 30 years. They obviously do it at the beginning of their careers. They write script coverage. They learn how to write a log line and a summary and evaluation. And you check a box, recommend, consider, or pass. And then you move on and you become a director of development. And then you become a, 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 a vice president and then so on and so on. And then you get fired when your three-year contract is up and you become a producer on the lot. And then when that pans out, you end up becoming a therapist or a real estate agent. <laughs> That is a Hollywood career for you. Yeah. So I'm just fortunate that I'm having a comeback, Sonny, at 53, where I love what I'm doing right now, perhaps more so than when I was reading diehard scripts for Bruce Willis at William Morris in the 90s, where every script that came in was about a ruggedly handsome hero who, you know, was diehard on a date, right. uh, diehard on in a closet that was called Coat Hanger, I mean, and so on and so on. I'm enjoying myself now because I'm absolutely fearless. And I want to find gold, you know? Mm -hmm. I am the screenwriter's best friend. I am your champion. Knock my socks off. Yeah. One more question on this, and we'll get we'll get to Rat Park. Uh, but I, I have a, a very pure mechanics based question. How many scripts can you read a day? If you if you uh, let's say the average script is you know let's say two hours, one hundred twenty pages. What are uh, what are what are the what are the number of scripts you can you can bang out in a day? I ask because I'm a, the slowest reader in the world, and this is this is your job. Almost sounds terrifying to me, like the idea of having to like sit there and 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 get through page after page. I don't I wouldn't be able to do it just because I'm so so slow. You are not alone. You're not the first person to have said to me, your job is terrifying. Last week, I did four scripts in one day. 
and that was sort of an eight in the morning to about five or six in the afternoon. And it was straight. It was two in the morning, two in the afternoon, make a break for lunch, get my head around what's coming up. Three of them were good. One of them was a waste of time. But I was able to get my head around these scripts because in many ways, some of them I can suddenly, I can actually stop and enjoy and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is one of the extraordinary ones. This is going to get made. This is a script for is going to be a clip for the AFI Lifetime Achievement Award. This is a legacy part if Denzel does this role, um, if Jake Gyllenhaal does this part in this script and wants to do it. Wait, wait, wait. I read it very carefully. I got my head around it. And then my job is to regurgitate it for the agent and frame an argument in my memo or my coverage or my email or in my conversation on the phone after I've read something to say, send the client the script. That is all the power I have is simply to convince my colleagues to send the script to the client with a note recommending that they read it. Because nine times out of ten, the client's not available, the client isn't interested in this character or just played something like it. But it doesn't hurt just to recommend a script to a client that even if they don't do it, you know, we are in the business of servicing clients with material that is going to make uh, a lasting impression on their careers and to our culture and to the trace that they leave behind. And I take it so seriously that I view every script that is sent to a client as something that is uh, doesn't represent an existential threat if they do it. You know, mm-hmm. if one, one bomb and you're dead. I don't have that mentality. I have mm-hmm. the mentality is that, is this something that they will appreciate having been sent this piece of material, even if they don't end up doing it? Mm-hmm. And that sort of puts a lot of pressure on everyone that, you know, I like to say to an agent, do not send this script or this script that was offered to you it's a $10 million offer from a studio or a financier. This script is a fire. If you sent this script, it is a fireable offense. <laughs> yeah. Just by sending it. So, yeah. you know, I um, writing coverage and reading scripts is a bit of a dark art. Maybe it's taught in college now. It certainly wasn't taught when I was in film school. And I certainly yeah. did not know how to write coverage in 1989. But Sonny, in 1989, I was a summer intern at William Morris in the story department because an agent my father knew said, you should be a reader. Screenplays are the currency of the business. Currency of the business, coin of the realm. Yeah. You know, I didn't know what he was talking about. I just wanted to get into the agency so they would represent me as a screenwriter <laughs> because I majored in screenwriting at USC at the time. Yeah, And Sonny, that internship, not many people become a summer intern at any department in any business and a couple of years later become the head of that department. Yeah. So my ride, which is still going fast and strong, is extraordinary. 
and unique. Yeah. Let's shift to talk about Rat Park here because it is it, it is a different. You're flexing a different muscle here. You're writing novels and instead of you know doing doing screenplay coverage, I'm going to describe it to people. All right, I'm going to describe the book to people and then I want to get your elevator pitch. Okay, so on the most basic level, Rat Park uh, is about an agent named Lester Barnes uh, who works for an agency called Omniscience that is I don't know, part part agency part weapons dealer. Um, uh, and he has to contend with both a COVID-like disease and a Hollywood-inflected Islamic terrorist group, okay? On a very general level, it is about the insanity of Los Angeles and working in the entertainment business. I'm curious to get from you your, what is your elevator pitch? You, 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 you walk into a room with somebody, you're like, you got to read my novel. It's, it's this. Well, what you said is not my novel. What you okay. said is sort of parts of the novel. It's like you're describing parts of something to a blind person. Okay. Okay. Right? It's this, it's that, it's not that. But, you know, the, the idea of an elevator pitch, you know, in some ways, it's, while it's necessary and I'm, I, I do it for a living, the takeaway for me about Rat Park is that it is a love story. And my inspiration was leaving Las Vegas because I knew the novelist John O'Brien briefly in the 90s when he wanted to learn how to write a screenplay. And I would go back to leaving Las Vegas over and over again when I wanted to write novels in my late 20s and started my first novel at 30. So Rat Park, for me, my fourth novel is sort of the culmination of I had to write three novels, Sonny, to get good and write this one. And this was the hardest one to write because uh, it's about marriage. And to write a love story inside a marriage during a pandemic where a married couple, and when you say Lester Barnes is an agent, that's just, you know, how he pays his mortgage. You know, he's a man and he's married to a novelist. And being married to a novelist is very challenging. And so I wanted to write about what is it like to be married to somebody who writes novels and that person is not always present and you are married to somebody who lives in her head. And so for Lester Barnes, being a very successful movie agent, uh, meets and falls in love with this school teacher who he calls a civilian. And a lot of people in the business guess what? You marry people who are not in the movie business. And I wanted to write about that. And I wanted to write about marriage. And at the time, this novel's five years old. We were in the grip of the Islamic State. And I wanted to have Lester uh, be kidnapped by the Islamic Martyrs Donna Brigade in Libya. And this group is affectionately known as IMDB. (laughs) And the more I researched the Islamic State, Sonny, I knew that the FBI was going to call me (laughs) because I went down some dark holes and I can never unsee what I saw the Islamic State uh, do to people in Northern Africa and uh, Middle East. So Rat Park is also about Islamic captivity and what it happens, what it is possibly like when you are a hostage Mm-hmm. to the Islamic State in Libya, where Lester Barnes becomes this star of hostage videos. And what 
struck me about that and why I wanted to write that is because I was struck by the videos online, Sunny, where the Islamic State took their filmmaking very seriously. And I found this hilarious uh, scenes of uh, a director saying action and cut and a craft service table on a video where a hostage is going to be run over by a, a tank and be pancaked. And then it's like, moving on, we got it, which cracked me up, but I have a very dark sense of humor. Well, I, I was going to say that whole sequence of the book is exceptionally dark and also exceptionally funny. I mean, the idea of doing uh, multiple takes on multiple, you know, uh, not uh, I, what's what's the term of art here? The uh, the the not execution videos, the uh, yeah. the the fake execution videos. Just uh, it, it it is it is terrifying and also like it it does make you chuckle. Uh, it much to much to your shame it's if you're sunny, if you're sitting there it, reading it. It's 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 one of my favorite sequences and 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 writing it when you know if if I was laughing out loud on the couch reading Loaded Weapon, you know. When you're writing something and you crack yourself up, you know, that was that was to me the sign that this is good. This is good. Keep going. Because um, I was so interested in the idea of writing something in Libya, in Muammar Gaddafi's abandoned palace that had nothing to do with Los Angeles. I challenged myself not to write a novel about Los Angeles and you know, the minutiae of L.A. or the anatomy of a deal. And by this fourth novel, I challenged myself to just write something that did not have to do with L.A. And yet, like Al Pacino in Godfather 3, just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, IMDB, you know, the Islamic Martyrs Donner Brigade. And I found a Hollywood even in Libya and cracked myself up. So yeah. there's a lot to unpack in Rat Park, but um, I think that its ambition uh, is what made it good, you know, that I shot for the stars and it took a long time. And I'm grateful to um, Dave Meganhart at Red Giant Books in Cleveland for publishing me. And uh, if I can tell one little side story. Yeah, Sonny. please. John O'Brien um, wrote a screenplay for me because he met the agent I read for at William Morris um, called Big Money in Neon. And John O'Brien said to me, here's my script. Thank you for all your guidance. And it was 288 pages long. <laughs> and I looked at this brick and I said, John, now the real work begins. Let's rewrite it. And he said, they can pay me to fix it. I said, John doesn't work that way. And so he went off and, and, and wrote another novel that did not sell, that did not get published. And he, and he killed himself in 94, 95. And the agent told me, hey, that guy you worked with just killed himself. But good news is uh, Nick Cage is doing uh, a movie of his book, Leaving Las Vegas. Well, John O'Brien had a sister named Aaron. And Aaron O'Brien was the keeper of the flame, and she got all of his novels published posthumously. And um, Red Giant Books in Cleveland, I just did a deep dive. I Googled John O'Brien and Googled Aaron O'Brien. And Sonny, Red Giant Books published a novel by Aaron O'Brien. So once I saw that Aaron O'Brien had published with Red Giant, I emailed Dave, cold, cold, cold call. 
And uh, Dave Meganhart said, sure, send it. And a couple months later, he said, I'm sending you a contract. Let's go. So there's a John O'Brien ghost looking over me that got this novel published. Yeah. Uh, it's a strange novel. I'm I, uh, Alexander Payne. As uh, quote, I think is is about right, but it is it really is fascinating to to read and kind of dive into the the psyche of Lester Barnes. I mean, what what is your park, Adam? There's a, there's a there's a great line in this in your book uh, about get out of your cage, find your park. What is your park? Well, uh, just to backtrack for people listening, that in the seventies, people believed that you know addiction needed to be dealt with, and these scientists, psychologists in Canada decided to do an experiment to prove that hard drugs were not addictive. And at the time, we said, what do you mean hard drugs are not addictive? And so they did this experiment where they took 12 rats and they put all these 12 rats in solitary confinement and they were given a little bit of food and uh, water to drink from and another bit of water that was spiked with black tar heroin. After one week, these 12 rats in solitary confinement, all 12 of them were dead. They had OD'd. They only drank the water from heroin, didn't touch the food. Then these scientists took 12 rats and put them in a park with a, a wheel to run around it, lots of food, females, you know, fun things to do. And they were given food, and water, and water spiked with heroin. And one week later, none of the rats were dead, and none of the rats touched the heroin water. And they concluded that this meant your environment might create a need for something, a need for attachment, belonging, which some people just you know, say happiness, you know, uh, uh, and when I realized, and I was stumbled upon this rat park, I realized that we all have addictions. We all have a cage. And when Lester Barnes' shrink says to him, you know, lose the cage, find your park, it is in seeking happiness and meeting the school teacher that Lester Barnes survives Islamic captivity, like Odysseus being reunited with Penelope, like John McClane battling the terrorists so he can be reunited with his wife. To me, the sense of addiction in this novel is something I've explored in all of my novels. It doesn't matter if it's about a, a brilliant script reader you know, with a troubled personal life at a major talent agency in Beverly Hills, uh, uh, an insane screenwriter, an agent whose wife is a novelist. Uh, someone said to me, well, which character are you, Adam? And I said, I'm all of them. So to answer your question, you know, it isn't, you know, what's my park? It's that in writing these novels, I found it's not what is my cage, but rather I've learned, Sonny, that it is in writing these novels that they are my park. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Are you? Have you uh, adapted these into screenplays? Are you? Are you trying to? Is, is this going to be a major 
motion picture or streaming event if you had your druthers? I think the um, the uh, the novels themselves, you know, are um, unread, undiscovered, and um, have yet to be really talked about. You know, I don't think there's any groundswell of uh, interest in any of these novels. I think the idea should be that if you read the novel and you're able to finish it, you know, and have a takeaway as, uh, you know, people's reactions to this novel, uh, then nothing thrills me more that someone would actually finish or reading this, this novel. There's four novels, Sonny. I've spent 22 years on these four novels, and they're all interconnected. It's like a Marvel universe in a, in a funny way. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because after I finished Rat Park, I was I was Googling your other novels. I didn't realize that there was a whole omniscience expanded universe that this was. I, I've got to actually go back now and and pick up the earlier entries in the series. Oh, it's it's hilarious. I mean, you'll find that Lester Barnes is the villain of the first novel. He's like the Joker. And then Rat Park is like the Joaquin Phoenix movie. You know, it's like, a, mm-hmm. it's like wow, he gets his own standalone novel. And uh, Larry Merceau, you know, the brilliant script reader, um, Larry got murdered in, in, in the second novel. And someone said to me, Adam, and you have yourself murdered in all of your novels. And I said, well, yeah, that, that's true. And then, so I love every novel, Sonny. I love each one of them. And I recognize the time in my life when I was writing it, you know, not for nothing, you know, do I have uh, four novels and three mergers, you know. Mm -hmm. There's always been a sort of moment in time where I needed to write this novel, I did it, I got it published, and then sure enough, it's how I, I don't have children, Sonny. So Hemingway said, with every child, you lose a novel. Yeah. I have two. So I've got two in the hole. I've got two novels in the hole. I need to need to get to work on those. Let me ask, when you're when you're writing these novels, how much of your experience as a script reader plays into the writing? I, I'm, I'm curious if there are things that you pick up. Um, in terms of storytelling, story structure, characterization, et cetera, that, that kind of work their way into, uh, into your, your, your novels? Well, I'm, I'm wired a certain way, you know, and uh, not for nothing, but the first novel I ever wrote, not knowing how to write a novel, having majored in screenwriting, and at that point having read scripts for 10 years, the novel was structured part one, part two, part three, and part one and part three were the same length, and part two was about twice the, the length of one and three, and it looked an awful lot like a screenplay. Mm-hmm. And then a director I know, you know gave me this you know, great feedback, and, and I shaped the first novel into something that was now two parts, and not so much a first act, second act, third act, because I was wired that way my whole life, Sonny. Yeah. The second novel was a complete reaction to spending seven years of my life on the first novel that's basically a screenplay in structure. But the content was not obviously um, cinematic, commercial. It was simply... For me, Sonny, a purge. Mm-hmm. 
it was an emotional purge that I had to get out and then mm -hmm. beat it into a novel. Second novel is a found pages novel, like Blair Witch. It's mm -hmm. a transcript of a podcast between a community college screenwriting professor in the Valley and his guest speaker, a brilliant script reader at a major talent agency, and the transcript of their conversation, their podcast about the business of screenwriting was published after it was released from the evidence room of a cold case murder file. And the publisher in downtown L.A. agreed to publish this transcript with the hopes of catching the murderer. That has nothing to do with screenplay structure. It has nothing to yeah. do with writing a screenplay. It couldn't be more different than the first novel. And that novel is called Take Fountain. And of all the novels, that's the one where I said, I, I can do this. I'm not mm -hmm. a one-shot wonder. Sonny, you do something once, congratulations. You do something twice, you're a professional. So they say. Yeah. Look, that, I, I've run through my list of questions, which leads me to my final question. Uh, I always like to end these uh, interviews by asking what I should have asked. What What should people know about either Rat Park or uh, being head of story at WME? Like, what, what, what do you think people should know that I have failed to ask uh, or that you think they'd be interested in? You've, you've, this, this, this has not been a Q&A. This has been a wonderful conversation, Sonny. So the great thing about this experience that we've had is that I, I already feel like um, people who have been listening uh, have already been given uh, an entree into a world that they're obviously already interested in or they wouldn't be listening to us. And I hope that they have a takeaway that um, there is a guy behind the guy behind the guy, the movie star, the, the director, the storyteller, who is as passionate about story as they are, and that that guy wants them to win. And I'm not some serial killer of scripts. I'm like the champion, you know, the, the one who actually stands up, sticks his neck out and says, this is good, read this. And when you are a writer, you want to be read. Mm -hmm. And in wanting to be read, you want to be loved. And I'm the guy who basically says to these agents and executives or anyone who listen, love this. I love this. So that's what I want people's takeaway to be. Great. Adam, thank you very much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Again, uh, the novel is Rat Park. Google it. It's on Amazon. Go go check it out and pick it up. And like I said, I've got I've to gotta go back and read the first three novels in the Omniscience Expanded Universe. I'm excited to do that, especially Take Fountain. I'm actually fascinated by the the uh, the structure as you describe it here. I might I might do it out of order and do that one. Should I do that? Absolutely. I, is that okay? Of course. Can I do that? Of okay. course. Okay, good. Read them out of order as long as you... <laughs> Read the novel, Sonny. I'm thrilled. Okay, great. Adam, thanks for being on the show. My name is Sonny Bunch. I'm culture editor at The Bulwark, and I will be back next week with another episode of The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. See you guys then. Mm -hmm.